0: You are listening to The Crisis Beat with Dr. Mark Crowther and Brady Wood.
1: Hi, welcome to The Crisis Beat. It's episode 13. Uh, Today for us, it's December 22nd, 2023. My name is Brady Wood. I'm a business owner and public relations professional. I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Dr. Mark Crowther, who in his other life is chair of medicine at McMaster University. Um, This episode, we're going to be talking about Harvard, MIT, and Pennsylvania State going before Congress, their presidents presented before a um, Congress Committee, and they had trouble saying clearly that calling for the elimination of the Jewish race was harassment on campus. So that had a lot of uh, repercussions. So Mark, will get into that, but we typically go through some other um, details from past episodes. I also wanted to say it's our holiday episode, so we're recording this just before Christmas. We hope to get it out just after Christmas, but uh, happy holidays, everybody. Mark, how are you?
0: Yeah. I'm great, Brady. Thanks very much. And uh, another year draws to a close. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, Certainly a year of crisis management uh, could not have been a more complicated year for many different reasons. There's always the potential for next year to be even more complicated. So not dismissing that possibility, but certainly a good year to sit back and figure out how you should be managing crises because there have been a lot and some real winners. One of the winners I think that we haven't talked about at all. um, I don't think we've even touched on this, but is in my book would be the the uh, cover person for crisis management is the president of the Ukraine. Now, there's somebody who actually knows how to handle an existential crisis very, very smoothly. Uh, I don't know if you've given any thoughts to that, Brady, but what do you think about Zelensky and his crisis management skills?
1: Well, I mean, I, th- I think he has proven to be a remarkable communicator. I mean, some of this does feel uh, like a lot of good stagecraft, too. You know, I think that... Um, I read one analysis that uh, his sort of army fatigue style outfit is actually highly curated, like high-end brands, et cetera. So I think he's kind of been masterful at, uh, at establishing himself. I don't know if it qualifies as crisis communications in the sense that the state is under threat, but it is like a crisis because the state has to bolster its reputation internationally to get support. That seems to be his primary objective is to maintain the support of effectively uh, NATO and the States, um, especially for, for equipment and uh, diplomatic powers at the UN to sort of try to slow um, Russia's sort of grueling approach into the Ukraine. But no, I, I think he's remarkable.
0: Yeah, he certainly is. And I've also heard that about his stagecraft. Um, but, you know, it is a remarkable thing to me that he he's the president of a medium-sized country in Europe, that could have been swallowed up um, very quickly and has not been and is amongst the globe's most recognized individuals. Now, if you were to put his picture up um, in a lineup of 10 hyper famous people, he'd certainly be in the top 10 most recognizable people in the world right now. And you know that's what you need when you're in this kind of situation is you need a present, visible uh well-groomed person standing up there, obviously leading the charge, and that's one of the things we've talked about repetitively through the course of all, the various podcasts we've done. Is that the the person in charge needs to be clearly in charge and needs to have easily digestible messages that help to move the agenda forward. So, in my mind, he's done a he and his handlers have done a remarkable job. Our um, other sort of running stuff: um, uh, breaking news of the week. Uh, So, first of all, um, our good friend uh, Elon continues to be in the news. A little news item here about Tesla recalling um, millions of cars. Um, I think they actually spend some time making this prominent. You know, other manufacturers this year, uh, this week, recalled many more cars, didn't tend to make the news. Uh, Tesla recalls cars, makes the news. Um, All good for Elon Musk and his recognition uh, you have some comments on that yeah
1: mark can, can i just ask you actually i didn't i didn't dial dive as deeply as you did into this one did the cars actually all have to go into the shop or was this like a software update as well like i wondered how much the problem was really overstated
0: yeah so i i i that actually hasn't been very clear and i can't afford a tesla so i can't tell you what actually happened but um uh the i i understand it's a software update uh, and if you, it could be done over your wifi. So I don't even know that it would really no, count as a, as a recall. I bought a very nice, uh, non-Tesla, uh, uh, Toyota, and I got a nice note from Toyota saying there's a recall, um, because the brake line, uh, may somehow interfere with the gas line and they can catch fire. Uh, but in the letter it said, we haven't got a fix for it yet. And I actually called my Toyota dealer the other day and said, have you got a fix yet? And they said, no, we haven't got a fix for it yet. Uh, So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) recalls happen. Um, uh, But for some reason, when Tesla has a recall, it seems to be big news when Toyota has a recall. Uh, It doesn't seem to be big news. Here's um, Toyota recalling nearly 100,000 cars in Canada for something that's one tenth of all the cars because of airbag problems. Hyundai and Kia recalling 600,000 cars in Hamilton due to a fire risk. Um, you know, it, it, <laughs> the cars just they're very complicated things and they break and there's lots of recalls. Uh, well, in fact, I, government-
1: I wonder how much, Mark, is like how much on one hand is Tesla such a novel company that it makes the news immediately? Or is this part of the Elon Musk effect that if something bad happens, they want to pile on him or just it makes good news to talk about Tesla? But that I that also wonder about some other agendas. I I recently watched on Netflix uh, this Obama produced movie. Michelle and Barack Obama produced a movie on Netflix. I think they have a deal to do a lot of this. It's a pretty concerning movie about a cyber attack that uh, threatens the United States. And in one scene, basically the antagonist seems to be Tesla cars. So there's a scene where the family has to evade these Tesla cars that are on autopilot being controlled by hackers smashing into each other (laughs) and clogging the highway. But it was very conspicuous that it wasn't just any electric car vehicle that was chosen. It was Tesla cars will turn on us was the uh, was the the message in this Obama made movie.
0: The um, uh, there was. uh, Yeah, so I'm just looking at the recall list here. So in December, Ford has had December of 2023 in Canada. Ford has recalled one, has had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven separate recalls of vehicle in Canada. In November, it had one, two, three, four. Um, so they didn't make the news. Uh, the, the The Tesla recalls just tend to make the news, unfortunately, or fortunately. I think it's all. I'm getting suspicious. I just think it's all part of a grand plan to keep Tesla to keep Elon's various enterprises in the news. Uh, other things here. Any update on? Uh, the um, chat GPT stuff we touched on last time, Brady?
1: Yeah, the, on at OpenAI, so Sam Alden's been returned to the role of CEO, and there's a new board in place. And and so I think the most interesting thing for our podcast is to say again, that organization felt that it was on very shaky ground for a very, very acute moment a few weeks ago. And now they seem to have just... Um, Re like re replace the CEO with himself after going through two interim CEOs, getting the board uh, repopulated with with folks that will will play ball. The board they've still maintained this corporate structure that is a not for profit board overseeing a for profit business. Apparently they have some kind of choke chain on the CEO, so uh, there's some they still have a role in overseeing his decisions, and I think it's up to the board whether they exert that or not. But again, what I would say is. What what is the organization now doing to re-establish our confidence in it? And I find that interesting. I don't think there's a lot of chatter or a lot of a lot of media about what's next. There is a lot of chatter about the next iteration of Chat TPT where they think that they've achieved generalized artificial intelligence or some 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 novelty that we might all start to be concerned about, the level of autonomy the AI systems have. Um, but but again, i don't I don't know that the organization has done much in the wake of this outside of just gotten its house in order to some degree. Um, i I wouldn't say that that in in my mind is in in line with best practice,
0: yeah, I would agree with that completely. It's kind of disappeared off the radar screen, although, again, I think going back to the founding principles of this podcast, to some extent, that's the goal of crisis communications. That was a company that was in a crisis. I suspect that in addition to hiring, uh to getting a new board uh replacing some of their key people i bet you they also brought in a highly highly skilled communications consultant to say to them people here's how you get yourself back in the news with a positive sense and out of the news in a negative sense because the rapidity with which this disappeared from the news suggests to me that they've hired somebody like you brady to come in and get them under control um because when people disappear from the news that quickly on an issue that is as high, couldn't be higher profile, I always sense there's a professional behind it.
1: Right. Yep. That that could very well be. It got quiet quite fast. And those, as you mentioned in our previous episode, those board members disappeared very quickly and quietly.
0: Let's move on to the main event. And Brady, you've done more work on this than I have, although I've done a fair bit of reading about it. Um, So do you want to give us just the background to what happened? Because I think you have a pretty good perspective on the events.
1: Yeah, Mark, and feel free to uh, interject here because there's there's quite a bit of detail I think we need to just get into to contextualize the story. But um, very interestingly, so th- this is about uh, university presidents being called before Congress, or in this case, a committee of Congress to testify. And so um, the university presidents in question are from Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, uh, commonly known as MIT, And so in this case, just a couple of weeks ago, they appeared before the Republican-led House Committee on Education and the Workforce. And the reason here for their appearance was that their schools had been at the center of a rise in anti-Semitic or perceived anti-Semitic protests. And so um, these folks were asked to answer innumerable questions in their hours of testimony. So this is, but the the incident that gets isolated is the case where they're all uh, facing the same sort of question about, whether student calls for the genocide of the Jewish people violated their school's codes of conduct. And so interestingly, all three, uh, the presidents really had trouble saying unequivocally that calling for the genocide of a people is um, is a form of harassment on the school campus. And um, I think the ramifications were swift here. There was a lot of chatter on social media, huge outrage um, across the board. Not, not unanimous. I, I think this is a very polarizing issue, Mark. And I think you and I are going to be very careful not to put a pin in our placement on it necessarily. Um, but uh, the, the results were, were interesting. So I, I think the one thing that did happen is um, on the one side, uh, Liz McGill, the University of Pennsylvania, she resigned in the wake of the controversy. Um, so you know, it, it seemed to, um, you know, people seem to associate that with the allowance of or the perceived allowance of morally reprehensible behavior. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, some people have even gone so far as to say all of this testimony was like a turning point in addressing the, the systemic tolerance of American anti-Semitism, which I think is a fairly bold statement. On, on the other side, we had Claudine Gray, and we'll get into her a little bit more afterward. But, you um, Claudine Gray was. Uh, she did actually end up posting a public apology for for equivocating and for not being clear about uh, the the reprehensibleness of uh, statements to um, and uh, the any any race of people. So again, this issue brought um, this issue of these folks before Congress, brought attention to that issue of anti semitism, and maybe we should talk a little bit more about some other dimensions affecting Claudine Gray because Harvard seems to be the university that is stuck in the press in spite of their university president's apology and their board's decision not to have the president at this time step down. And there are more calls uh, coming. So um, we've talked about the hearing and um, what seems to be a misstep by those presidents. Secondly, uh, Claudine Gray is simultaneously um, facing uh, claims of plagiarism. And so there's been an investigation Um, And this investigation now continues. So again, there are more, uh, more, um, basically, there have been several incidents in her papers and in her PhD thesis, where she's verbatim quoted books by other authors and not attributed those quotes. And so again, there's an investigation into her academic work and an an independent review. And the review uh, conducted by the Harvard Corporation found inadequate citations in some instances, but concluded there was no violation of research misconduct standards. And so as a result, uh, so this is as of just last week, she'll make corrections to two scholarly scholarly articles published in 2001 and 2017. What I find interesting here, Mark, and maybe we'll pause here. um, Actually, I'll, I'll just note also. So then there's continued calls for resignation and scrutiny. And some billionaire donors uh, have also withdrawn funding to Harvard's uh, advancement office as a result of this. So her her leadership's under incredible pressure, both because of the Israeli Hamas war, and what seems to be a potentially a metastasizing um, issue related to to plagiarism. But the one thing I would also say, Mark, you know more about this than I do, in my opinion. But it, it strikes me like my knowledge of what it was like, even as an undergraduate or graduate student, is. Quotations had to be like your your notations and citations have, have to be bulletproof, or it is a form of plagiarism. I can't imagine, and and I did see some of the examples here where Claudine Gray, Gray's um, um, publications included uh, complete paragraphs from from other authors, unsited, uh, or complete sentences. Is, is that or is that not a form of plagiarism in your mind?
0: That for sure is, and and the. Um... Uh this happens, so I would say that 20 years ago when the first of these events happened, the rules were a little more relaxed um, and they've become more strenuous since then. But the real thing that's happened uh, is not changing standards, it's ease of what I would call ease of invigilation, meaning it's become a lot easier to identify this because... In the past, you'd have to read document one and remember document two and be able to compare the two, whereas that's something that um, uh, Google is extremely uh, effective at. And so it has brought plagiarism as a form of academic misconduct to the fore um, because it's so easy to detect now. Probably the most um, famous example of this in Canada uh, was uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the Dean of the University of Alberta, and we'll post this link in the uh, in the notes, um, resigned because he gave a convocation speech, and basically it was word for word, or large chunks of it were lifted um, from uh, Atul Gawande's talk at Stanford in 2010. And there was a quote, which I don't know that I can find, but it was actually really funny, because uh, one of the students said that he was, one word ahead of the dean for the entire speech because he'd he'd memorized a Tullgawandi speech and actually was able to predict what was coming next. Oh no! Um, yes, yeah, yeah. And so the dean—that was the dean—he actually resigned as a result of that. So you know, there's no question that academics know that plagiarism um, is not allowed. Like it's not. This is not a hidden rule. And you know, I published. A lot, I have published a lot of papers over the years. Um, but we're very very careful about this even if you're writing about something that you've written about before even 25 years ago we had a habit where if you were writing a review article you would recycle significant amounts of the text but um it's been made very clear to us now that that's no longer allowed and and so for writing on the same subject which we oftentimes do because we have content areas of expertise i'm extreme i think i and everybody else are extremely careful about making sure that we rewrite sections um, even for common parts of the documents, so no, I would think plagiarism is is something that all academics would know about, and and also we have good citation systems. It's not that you aren't allowed to cite other people's work; you just need to cite other people's work, and it's that simple. Yeah, I will say, Brady, that in, in talking about this event, um, you know, our focus on the podcast is crisis management, not political statements, and as you said. Uh, I hope the listeners don't feel that we are on one side or other of this dispute insofar as we don't want our personal perspectives about the dispute to come into play. We just want to comment on how this went down and how it was handled and how we think it could have been handled better. Um, And that's, that's really important so that we don't start getting a lot of hate mail about our political positions. But, you know, I think there's some really obvious critical communication issues that arose as a result of this. And, these are things, as you said, that uh, I, anybody who's running a business who's getting into these kind of issues, like you've got to stick to these principles. I think if you were to go through all the podcasts we've done, the common theme throughout all of them has been: this is a science, not an art. Meaning, you know, the response to critical situations should be pre-prepared. It should follow a plan. It should involve a set series of steps, and the outcome is almost always predictable and. This did not go according to plan, so it's probably worth just going on a little bit more. What happened, Brady? And you've talked a bit a lot about the fallout, but what you know, wh- where are we now with this whole issue?
1: Yeah, I, I can say a little bit. So it's interesting. So the apology that uh, Claudine Gay made was in the Harvard Crimson. So also, I would say interestingly, this kind of um, reputation prepare, repair work may not also be part of a broader plan. She was interviewed by effectively the school paper. And what she did say is, I am sorry. And she said that words matter. She said that when words amplify distress and pain, I don't know how you could feel anything but regret. So it's the, and that apology from the Harvard Crimson was then published in the New York Times and reported on by CNN, et cetera. Um, and Fox News and The New York Post, like all all sides sort of reported that she had apologized. But it's not clear that this was part of um part of a campaign of apology and and reputation repair necessarily. And so it is it is worth mentioning, you know, the full hearing was was nearly six hours. And so what what she said in the hearing was, so um there was um there was a um a representative named Elise Stefanik, and she said, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? And and Claudine Gay responded, it can be depending on the context. And then she was pressed further. And um, so the answer is yes, calling for the genocide of the Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct correct. And then Gay said, again, it depends on the context. And then Stefanik, obviously, uh, this is a very highly politicized environment. She said, it does not depend on context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. But I think, I think what was interesting was in her response is this kind of equivocation. And I think, Mark, that's maybe another important point is I think a lot of politicians and public officials fail when they get caught in, in a bit of a sticky wicket to use an East Coaster term. But when you get in a sticky situation, or you're not sure how to answer, I I think it's better to try to even defer a question, but on something like this, equivocating is what caused the problem. And Mark, I didn't know if you wanted to mention here, you know, the difference, I think you you, you and I've talked about a little bit that these folks got caught up between the moral and the legal side of this. So there might be a legal definition somewhere about, about freedom of speech on campus where the hairs could be split on this issue, but i think with this moral dimension i think that balancing of legal and moral um is potentially if i was being generous to these presidents where they got uh, where they got themselves in this st- sticky business
0: yeah i absolutely would agree with that i think there was a quote which i can't find but said they were overlawyered which is completely true the the danger first of all 6 hours of being grilled in front of congress is going to be extremely tiring and extremely trying. And it is the, you know, the ultimate arena within which people are going to make communication mistakes, because you're going to be just absolutely exhausted and prone to say things you shouldn't say. And I think that, again, from a communications professional perspective, I'm not a communications professional, you are, Brady. But what I would say is that if you're feeling uncomfortable with the answer that is coming in your brain to be sent to your mouth, It is time to defer that question, even if the consequences are significant. Obviously, with the question that was asked in this case, you can't say I need to go consult with my lawyers. Um, You know, I think that needed a very simple answer. And I would I don't know Harvard's policy with respect to harassment or intimidation on campus, but I know ours. Uh, And calling for the genocide of a race of people, irrespective of the side of the argument that you're on, is not acceptable. It does not matter. There may be a legal requirement to allow people the right to free speech but if it is in the setting of world events where people are going to be very very antsy about what's going on uh, it strikes me that that is the answer to that question is that is not going to be tolerated every academic institution i would think would have a harassment intimidation policy a bullying policy a code of conduct um i realize that universities are you know held up as areas within which we should be particularly protective of free speech. But even within those venues, there are things that you just cannot say because it threatens people. It puts it creates an environment within which people feel threatened. And, mm-hmm. and that's the answer to the question. You know, if they then have to go back after the congressional hearings and face an angry group of people on campus who don't believe that, that's a lot more manageable than being on every major network with every political stripe and giving an answer which just is not well crafted from the communications perspective it may be well crafted from the legal perspective but it was the wrong answer to give in that setting
1: yeah i think you've nailed something important there mark this was a this could be anticipated yeah. like they knew these were the kinds of questions they would face in this hearing so to equivocate on your to to split hairs to be in the gray zone to be unclear on that one specific question and, and I'll be honest with you, Mark, I think 10 years ago, it's a question that a university president wouldn't have any challenge saying, uh, of course, it's harassment. So it's it's very interesting the way this has played out.
0: Yeah, totally agree.
1: And Mark, just, just so you know, like I, I think you're aware of this as well, but um, in the last 24 hours, there have been new plagiarism accusations about against Claudine Gray. The New York Times had a, a headlining op-ed about why it's ca- literally called Why Harvard's Claudine Gray should go. Um and and some other revelations are coming out about how hard the board is being lobbied to keep her, including by uh by Obama, interestingly. So um, you know, I think this board may tire of also um of also having to convene on the weekend to decide whether or not they have to fire their president over and over again.
0: <laughs> it it is it is undoubtedly a problem. Um I I think so what I take away from this, Brady, is And again, I think this is a it's a thread that runs through everything we talk about is this idea that crises should be anticipated and that you should have a plan and the plan central to the plan needs to be clear and immediate communication by people who are seen to be in position of authority, who can give the message that informs people as to what's going on and what's going to come next. That That's what you've really got to get across when you are in front of an audience and you are trying to tell people what is going on. And when you think about some of the really good examples that we've talked about across the 13th, this is the 13th podcast, and some of the really bad things we've talked about, most of the really good things have focused on extremely immediate, extremely clear, and generally very brief communication from the people in position of authority and the ones that are bad just don't have those characteristics.
1: Yes, totally agree. Totally agree.
0: Yeah. And so again, if you're listening to this podcast, because you, you know, you you're, you're interested in, in your business one, and you you anticipate you have a problem, you are hoping you don't have a plan, but you're planning for it. Like that's really the, the absolute key message. Brady made a point to me when we first started doing this a long time ago, um, that the business that I'm in, um, we get, you know, front page crises. Daily. <laughs> Did you just say it, Brady? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> hun- we get hundreds of crises a year in, in academic medicine uh, institutions as opposed to, you know, most public businesses are not having a crisis in a 10-year period unless they're poorly run.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we are very used to, we are very used to dealing with these kind of things. And I think we've developed reasonably good strategies to adapt to them. Um, but the message for those of you who work in other domains where this is not a literally almost day after day event uh, is that, you know, there, there is a science to this and we you need to, and I think th- what happened to these people was entirely both predictable and avoidable. And it was because they were overprepared. prepared they, they had too much to think about. It was too big a session. They should have had better coaching uh, and they should have had um, people who knew who if, if they can't predict the flashback, they should have people around them who can predict the flashback. I think the flashback here was completely appropriate. This was not going to turn out well unless they did a really good job.
1: No, and again, we're not we're not taking a political stance, Mark. But I think that I can't imagine a context where it would not be against a university's code of conduct to call for the genocide of a people. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I, can't, I just cannot imagine any scenario where that, that anyone would be okay with that being okay. If it was okay somewhere in the university's code of conduct, um, let's change it, because that doesn't sound like the world we're supposed to be living in.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that completely.
1: So, Mark, um, um, we've we've often had a word of the day. Um, the only thing I think that might have been peculiar to listeners, <laughs> this is a novel since our last podcast. I've said equivocate too many times, so maybe I'll slap myself on the wrist. But also, we could make that the the word of the day. Not. Yeah, I like pure. the word.
0: I also like the word invigilate. I. I um, oh yeah, that's, that's a favorite. That's a favorite of mine as well. Uh, yeah, we really? should we should definitely have a word of the day.
1: Did we uh, did we get invigilate into the podcast too? You, we did.
0: You know, you, we we I was, I try to get invigilate into everything I do because it gives me a little bit of a challenge to use the word invigilate. There's words I never use and words that I try to get into most conversations and invigilate's what I try to use as much as I can because I like it.
1: All right. Well, we'll ask we'll ask listeners to either to write in and vote on equivocate or invigilate. You can find us at thecrisisbeat.com. We'll we'll post a vote there or you can email us.
0: Yeah, excellent. And then Brady, um, we've done a little bit of planning what we're going to do with the podcast in the future. Um, We're going to do a little bit of uh, feedback evaluation over the next couple of weeks, I think, uh, and um, uh, talking about how we can make this more valuable to the people who've taken their valuable time and listened. We really appreciate everyone who has actually listened to this. I continue to be shocked and surprised that people listen, but they do. Actually, had someone come up to the other day and said that they had been listening intently to them, which to me is a Mark. Surprise. Of
1: course, of course, they're listening. I don't, I don't, I don't think we should be too hard on to ourselves. Why wouldn't they?
0: And uh, <laughs> but also, we'd like to, you know, I think one of the things we've been aiming to do is to help people who find themselves in a situation that they are having trouble navigating, is how they navigate it. We're going to spend a little bit more time over the next probably six months figuring out how we can provide some specific support to people who find themselves in these kind of situations because it, it now that we're basically a year into this, it, it continues to shock and amaze me how these events, which are completely predictable, um, are seem to be catching people by surprise every single day.
1: Mark, we've seen really remarkable examples of some of the top companies and institutions in the Western world. Today, we're talking about Harvard University fumbling the ball. And, yeah. and to this date, I would say they don't actually have a clear and comprehensive communications plan to rebuff the concerns and criticisms like they only answered this by saying sorry in their own newspaper it's it's shocking to me to be honest
0: yeah it's it's shocking to me and and here's the uh the new york times december twenty first headline why Claudine Gay should go
1: yes that's that's the the exact uh, op-ed that I was I was talking about yeah this is today like today's paper
0: John McWhorter, who's a very famous columnist. The first mm-hmm. sentence of this op-ed is Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, should resign. <laughs>
1: okay. I, I do see Harvard here doing a few things on online, like Harvard posted a statement on December 12th from former presidents of Harvard University supporting her. So five former presidents wrote in support of her. But again, I don't, I don't know that that really covers it, you know.
0: It's- anyway. Brady, we should wrap it up. The people are yes. want to get on our okay, lives. Happy um, holidays. Yeah. Happy holidays to you too. I'm sure we'll be touching base. Uh, we'll get to the next of these up and going in a couple of weeks. Uh, I like the new pace that we've got going. I think that's useful and we'll just have to see how it goes. So thanks very much, everyone. Happy holidays, belatedly, because you'll be listening to this after the holidays. And uh, we look forward to seeing what we can uh, bring to your attention next year and hopefully help you to attend to those unfortunate things that you, your business or your your colleagues find yourselves in.
1: Thank you, Mark. All right. Talk to you next time, everyone. Bye-bye.
0: Talk to you. Bye.